and welcome to this edition of TBU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 154. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, down to the plot and art, and tell you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book is The Supergirl from Krypton, written by Jeff Loeb, art by Michael Turner, and color by Peter Steigerwald. This covers the issues of Batman Superman numbers 8 through 13. Chris, tell us a little bit about this book. Thank you very much, Joey. The story, Superman slash Batman, colon, Supergirl, or known as The Supergirl from Krypton, originally ran from Superman Batman numbers 8 through 13. Issue number eight was cover dated May 2004 and had a cover price back then of $2.95. And that first chapter went through three printings, all with different covers. Also cover dated the same month and year was Batman number 625, the opening chapter to the previously covered Broken City story. So that was quite a month for comic book releases. Now, from some pop culture historical context, the movies Van Helsing and Shrek 2 were released in May 2004. And the song Yeah by Usher featuring Lil John and Ludacris was the number one Billboard song. I have several notes, most of which that I found online, with our respect to the creative team involved. Now, the writer for this story is the accomplished Jeff Loeb. Before he wrote this story, Loeb had already a long list of credits, including the Batman stories, Long Halloween, Dark Victory, and Hush. Some great stuff. Jeff, yeah. Isn't it, though? Yeah. So we're in for a treat. Uh, Jeff Loeb has also written for Marvel Comics with the stories Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, Spider-Man Blue, and more recently, the Captain America White. His film and television credits include work on Teen Wolf, Commando, Lost, Smallville, and Heroes. Jeff Loeb is a four-time Eisner Award winner, and he's presently the executive vice president of Marvel Television. Michael Turner did the interior artwork. Turner was born in Crossville, Tennessee in 1971. Now, Turner may be best known for his work on the titles Witchblade for Top Cow Comics, Fathom, and Soulfire under his his own company, Aspen, MLT. For this particular story that we are covering, this would mark the only time Turner would do interior artwork for a company other than Top Cow or Aspen. Mm Now, I myself, I remember Turner did the excellent cover work uh, throughout his career. Now, in particular, he also did the covers for Identity Crisis miniseries, which we are going to cover in a future podcast. Uh, Turner did all the cover artwork on the run of Superman Batman for this particular run, but it should be noted that Jim Lee did a variant cover on issue number 10. Uh, Sadly, Michael Turner died in 2008 due to complications from bone cancer, and he was only 37. Peter Steigerwald did the colors, and he previously worked on Turner in the past. Richard Starkings was the letterer, and he's created Comicraft Studios. He's got a long catalog of designs of lettering and fonts. One thing we should point out, uh, this story was dedicated to Christopher Reeve, the actor who gave an iconic portrayal of Clark Kent and Superman in four films. Reeve passed away in 2004. This particular story has been collected in a hardcover volume, as well as a trade paperback, which has gone through two printings. Myself, I tend to be a one-and-done reader, buying and reading a comic book and seldom having time to revisit it. I rarely get the collected trait of a given story unless it's something I really, really like, and I can get it inexpensively for some good nightstand reading. 
That was the case here. Now, before I knew I'd be co-hosting Bad Books for Beginners with Jerry, I got a copy of this trade paperback for around, oh, four or five dollars at a local new and used bookstore. And I reread the story this past summer, and I reread it again to make some notes for this podcast. This is a great story. This book contains a foreword by Jeff Loeb about the genesis of the story. Uh, Jeff Loeb stated that uh, DC boss Dan Didio was on a Superman roller coaster ride at an amusement park. There was a billboard on the ride that gave the origin of the story. Uh, and next to that billboard was another billboard with the origin of Supergirl, which started with the words, an ectoplasmic being from a parallel dimension. And right there, she <laughs> was taken aback by that. And while that version of Supergirl has her fans, Didio remembered a Supergirl that was Superman's cousin. And so him being the power that be, he started to make it happen. Let's go to a story that returned the maid of my to her original roots. This trade paperback also contains a conversion key to translate the Kryptonian language that appears in the story and converts it into the English alphabet letter for letter. And it also provided a translation example from the panels in the opening chapter. I'm not sure if this is available on Comixology. Uh, my basement's my Comixology, and I apologize. Uh, the Atlantic Journal-Constitution is also quoted as stating, Fans of DC Comics classic characters will find much to love here. Presently on Amazon, the trade paperback has a rating of four and a half out of five stars based on 69 reviews. So, Jerry, uh, you, do we have a long plot here? Uh, it's actually not all that long. It's, uh, the story is pretty straightforward, uh, but that is certainly not a negative in this case. This is a, as you said, this is a, a really special story. And uh, that's really interesting that they have in the trade. They break down the uh, alphabet, the Kryptonian alphabet. Yeah, I, I did not have a chance to go back to the individual issues to double check if they did have that. I apologize no, to I behalf of the so. listeners, but I know it, I know it, it is in the trade. Uh, I suspect it would must have appeared in one of the issues, though. Right. But don't hold me to that. Okay. All right. Well, let me talk a little bit about the plot, and then we can talk about what we thought about this. So the story opens, Batman is under the sea, just off the coast of Gotham, where he finds a crashed spaceship. There's kryptonite all over the sea floor, scattered all around the ship. And while he's down there checking things out, a slim blonde figure emerges from the water, climbs onto his bat boat, and drives it away. Batman gets an alert that the bat boat is uh, being hijacked, and he ties himself to the bat vessel. But sadly, she's not a very good driver, and the bat boat crashes into the Gotham dock. And Batman is pretty banged up in the crash. I'm sure he'll be okay. Yeah, I think he'll be, I think he'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> so the blonde figure heads into Gotham. She's completely nude and she's looking for clothes and she gets the attention you'd expect her to get in Gotham City and seems to be able to take care of herself pretty well. So she's able to find some clothes but even so her presence causes havoc all over Gotham and uh, Batman finally catches up to her. She's speaking in a strange language and flies around some and causes a dirigible uh, uh, blimp to almost crash. But luckily, Superman flies down and comes to save the day, as Superman does. Jerry, were you, were you, when you saw that visual, too, yeah. did you kind of uh, instantly think you were looking at a, like a Batman, the animated series thing, when the opening with all these uh, blimps flying overhead with the spotlight shining down? A little bit. In this scene, though, I couldn't help but think of Led Zeppelin's uh, Led Zeppelin 1's album cover. There you go. <laughs> Good call. Well, nicely played, sir. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there, uh, Batman and Superman together uh, are able to catch her and uh, 
take her uh, to the Fortress of Solitude so they can do some study on her. Superman is able to understand her speech and declares that she is Kara Zor-El, his Kryptonian cousin, which shouldn't be a surprise if you read the title. So they argue, Batman and Superman argue repeatedly over the course of this book whether they should trust Kara or not. And they're, you know, at the Fortress of Solitude looking after her, and she tells her story that her parents sent her into space after Superman, baby Superman's ship, left Krypton. And the idea was that she could keep an eye on her baby cousin, but there was a little problem in delivery. There was a space snafu. Uh, Krypton exploded, you know, which slowed everything down, and she got delayed. She landed on Earth. Uh, buried in some Kryptonian rock, kind of an asteroid that ended up on Earth. But the delay caused her to be younger than the now grown-up Superman. So back in the Fortress of Solitude, she learns English, which I'm sure came to uh, came as a relief to the letterer, Richard Starkings. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I, I'm very surprised and happy to hear that there was a, uh, that there is a code. <laughs> I can't yes. wait to try it. Now, meanwhile, on Apocalypse, Darkseid tells Granny Goodness to take the Furies to Earth to get Supergirl. Apparently, Big Barda has recently left as the captain of his honor guard, and she wants to replace her, and thinks that Supergirl would make a perfect replacement. So, setting up for a little bit of uh, tension later. So, Clark is taking Kara for a walk in Metropolis. Under the watchful eye of Batman, he's kind of. There's some nice shopping here too, where really? she's getting assimilated in the park. I thought too. Uh, yeah. She's she's uh, likes to do shopping. She asks uh, what is in the hot dog that they're eating. Yeah. I thought that was a full humorous moment. So uh, it, it, it maybe sort of fish out of water, but I thought maybe it did come off as th- that cliched as one might expect to me. I, th- I thought it was kind of a, a fun scene there. It sure was, and I also kind of like. Batman sneaking around the bushes and the trees, kind of keeping an eye on them. I uh, thought that was kind of a funny touch as well. Now, suddenly they're attacked. And there's some fighting going on, and they're trying to, Superman is trying to uh, protect her. But it turns out that it's Wonder Woman who's arrived and wants to take Kara to Themyscira for some training. It turns out that Batman was in on this whole scheme. He thinks that Uh, that Wonder Woman taking her is a great idea. And uh, Superman's a little put out. He's a little uh, upset that his uh, super friends have kind of turned on a little bit. But once they're at uh, Paradise Island, Kara takes to the training. She's having a great time uh, making friends and sparring with her Amazonian locals. So it's, uh, it's a really good environment for her to learn. Suddenly, a dozen doomsday clones emerge via a boom tube to attack the island. So the Trinity fight them, and uh, Superman eventually uses his super laser vision and a big uh, laser vision explosion to wipe out the attackers. But they realize that the attack was a distraction. Kara, who had been taken to the rear kind of uh, for protection, has been kidnapped through a boom tube that you know was back there. And Harbinger, who is there to protect her, uh, has been killed trying to uh, save her from being kidnapped. Now, Kara has been taken through the boom tube to Apocalypse. So they realize that they have got to save her. Mm -hmm. So Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, they go to visit 
big Barda's suburban house. So she lives on a nice little, you know, nice little street in suburbia. Where she and lives. I got to mention this too. There, <laughs> there is a one little bit, and I, I don't know if Jerry was going to mention it, and I apologize, Jerry, if you were. But if you're a fan of '60s TV sitcoms, uh-huh. there is a character who's. Uh, mentioned by name, and it looks like, if not appearance, certainly by name. If you've seen a lot of uh, 60s TV sitcoms, oh, yeah. you will instantly identify this character and know immediately who it is. I will just say, uh, if you think of, uh, if I say the two words, nosy neighbor, you will probably <laughs> guess who exactly they were referring to. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was a nice little uh, cameo uh, yeah, shout out there. From, uh, what's that, Bewitched, right? Correct. All right. So... Uh, Big Barda is living in, in the suburbs with her husband, Mr. Miracle, also called in suburban uh, language, called Scott. And Mr. Miracle is another ex-apocalyptian. Yeah, Scott Free, of course. Yes, of course. Yes. So he's out of town, and so she's kind of uh, having a little uh, time to herself. Now, Batman borrows some of Scott's gear uh, with a mother box and uh, a boom tube and some of his weaponry to travel to Apocalypse. And Barda decides, well, you're not going anywhere without me. So she's coming along for the ride. Now, the four make it to Apocalypse, and they split up. Barda and Diana, they defeat the Furies who uh, are, come to attack them. Batman fights and kills this giant dog kind of from the inside and finds a huge pile of hell spores, which are these planet-destroying grenades. You know, one of them will destroy a planet, and there's like 500 of them. So he he gets a good idea. Uh, Superman confronts Darkseid, and Kara is at his side, but Kara seems to want to do Darkseid's dark bidding and fights her cousin. Luckily... He's prepared, and he has a ring full of Krypton juice that he uses to punch Kara really hard, right? With this Krypton fist. And uh, uh, Batman tells, shows up and tells Darkseid that he's got these hell spores, and he's got them uh, set to explode, and he, you know, Darkseid can't do anything about it. And if he doesn't release Kara, that uh, all these hell spores will explode, kill everyone, and destroy Apocalypse. Uh, Darkseid doesn't like that idea, so he agrees to let Kara go. This is a really well-done scene because uh, you see Batman's thought and cunning going toe-to-toe against uh, the brute force and thinking of critical thinking of Darkseid. Yeah. It's a really well-played-out scene because uh, at one point, Darkseid kind of mutters, bested by a human or something to that effect and he you just can't believe that uh, he he got outwitted and outplayed by batman in this scene it was really played out really well played out and really well depicted i thought right, at right. this particular moment uh, you could just see the the tension and 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 just the confrontation between these two it was uh, really well done and the frustration that he has oh absolutely yeah so the gang heads back to Themyscira to get Kara's head together kind of get unhypnotized and uh figure out what's what and uh, which they do. So Darkseid had done some kind of hip, uh, hypnotic uh, spell on her or something, never really explained, but she's finally okay. So she suits up in her very own super suit thanks to uh, the needlework of Martha Kent, right? fashions by Smallville. Mm-hmm. So they fly off to the Kent's house, uh, but nobody's home. However, Darkseid is inside, and he comes out, and he wants to get Kara back. And he uses his uh, Omega Beam. He goes to get Superman, but Kara jumps in front and turns her to dust. Before he can head back home, 
uh, Darkseid is punched by Superman and tries to turn his Omega Beam eyes on Superman. But Wonder Woman jumps in front and reflects the beams with her bracelet right back onto him. And Superman picks him up in his weakened state and flies him to the sun. And powered by the yellow sun's rays, Superman punches Darkseid real hard through the final barrier at the end of outer space, kind of into another dimension, and traps him there, uh, where he's imprisoned with another series of bad guys that have apparently uh, run into the same problem with Superman. Yeah, I figured these were fourth world Kirby, Jack yeah. Kirby stuff guys who were there back in the day. Yeah, I didn't recognize anyone, but I figured it the same as you did. Yeah. So Superman returns to Earth, where the Justice League is fixing up the damage to the Kent residence, which is pretty cute. And Superman heads off to Themyscira, where they have a special guest hidden away, Kara. It was all a ruse to defeat Darkseid. Yeah, big shock. (laughs) She was uh, teleported away before the Omega Beams could destroy her, and they teleported in some dust so that uh, Darkseid would be fooled. So... Kara is presented to the Justice League, the Teen Titans, the Outsiders, and the JSA, and all the heroes. They welcome her as the good guys, one of the good guys, protecting truth, justice, and the American way. Oh, the bravo, end. bravo. Yes, and this, the, the final depiction, it was almost uh, something you'd see in a poster because uh, the artwork was presented in such a way with a double page spread where you see all these heroes lined up and and everything and i was just waiting to see you know back in the day is, is there going to be some kind of identification key <laughs> where, where we have like the outlines of these people and then uh, who they were uh like you might have seen from a 60s or 70s comic book right. none of that here but uh boy just just some gorgeous artwork with the way the uh final pages of the story were uh done really was and that was just one of a number of really well done pages yeah, there were a lot of uh, splash pages, a lot of double-page spreads. It seemed to accentuate the story just at the right moment to uh, for emphasis and just 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 some gorgeous and stunning artwork throughout the story. So tell me a little bit about what you thought about this overall. Well, first and foremost, I, 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 this is one thing I have to – I think it should be mentioned is, is you could tell how Jerry and I were covering the story. This is a Bad Books for Beginners podcast, but this is in essence – a Supergirl origin story for for what you have. Uh, we do get some great Batman and Superman interaction here. Uh, this is Jeff Loeb at one of his best. Uh, we have the uh, thought boxes, which he's a master of. The dialogue is is almost takes a back seat to the thoughts that the characters have as the action is playing out. We have sort of a point counterpoint uh it's like a ping pong match when you when you see these things going on it's um their thoughts just are not in sync but when they come close to being similar they each have their own little batman spin and superman spin at play here you can really see the yin and yang of the characters how they're trying to arrive at a common solution for the good Mm -hmm. but the methods of arriving to the uh conclusion and to the ultimate point and solution are very different uh, ways to get there uh just just a masterful storytelling yeah, it really illustrates uh, their characters you know how they see oh, the same thing but have such different points of view about what's happening oh absolutely absolutely uh jerry this is a story like i said that essentially deals with supergirl yeah. uh were, did you have any 
attachment to Supergirl in your comic book reading? What was what, 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 when did you first encounter the character, and have you have you been a fan of the characters at all? Not at all. I've seen the show a couple of times, and I think I read uh, Steve Orlando's uh, a couple of issues of his recent Supergirl. But I'm mm-hmm. not. I've no particular. Um, uh, connection to Supergirl as a character, I, I know of her. I'm not really uh, Super Superman, Supergirl, Justice League. I, that's not really my wheelhouse. This is way outside my wheelhouse. Uh, okay, but even so, I just think this was this was a great great read. It's what comics are all about for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my my dealings with the Supergirl character, I, I grew up in the 70s, and occasionally uh, I knew she had a... Uh um, a solo title that I think ran for only uh, eight issues before that. She was in Adventure Comics. Um, I think when they closed down, they canceled the uh, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen titles. They kind of all merged together to the 100-page Superman family, mm-hmm. and they would sort of rotate who was going to be the lead feature of, of of that issue, and then the rest would contain reprints. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would get my Supergirl stories back then. Um, and then, of course, the crisis came, and they uh, killed off that version, and we were left with the other future incarnations, then we come back to this. So everything seems to be a little cyclical. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet Melissa Benoist at C2E2. I do follow, yes, and I do follow the uh, Superman TV, Supergirl, pardon me, Supergirl TV series. And I think they do a good job with it. I, 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 Supergirl is a tricky character though, to pull off in my opinion. I ask people, what they think of Supergirl and if they watch it. And these are comic book fans, so I, I assume they would actually migrate to such a show. And I say, well, uh, and I don't want to put any people on the spot uh, that, that I, I know, but I, I would ask them, well, do you like Supergirl? No, I really don't care for the character. Oh, well, what, what don't you like about her? And they'll say, well, she just goes around and says, yay, I'm Supergirl. And I go, really? I don't, I don't know her doing that, you know? And no, and she just says, well, she's, she's just, uh, she's just Superman, but she's a girl. I don't like that. So then, okay, well, let me ask somebody else what they think. And sure enough, I got the same opinion with the same kind of sing-songy voice that, that they have this, conceived notion of the character preconceived or not that uh, she just comes off in a certain way and I said well you know I don't know if that's who she is uh, myself and so I think the TV show tries to make a take on her that's you know what the term they've been throwing around is adorable (laughs) so I don't really know if if that's fair Uh, I can see where they're coming from but it seems like Supergirl is sort of Lose, lose. I mean, you just can't win with um, presenting her to a, to a mainstream audience without her uh, ruffling some feathers as, as it is. Which harkened back to something kind of funny I remember back in the day, and I, I don't want to get too big, long into digression here, but I remember when they first introduced the Power Girl character over in All-Star Comics in the 70s. And I remember uh, a scene in particular where uh, they're part of the Justice Society, and Star Spangled Kid is there, and he decides as a gift he's going to give... Kara, Power Girl, the uh, uh, S logo, but instead of the Superman S logo, he gives her a pendant, and instead of an S, it's a P, a P for Power Girl. And he smiles, and he graciously hands it to her, and she looks at it, and looks at it on her hand, and she she just looks at it with such disdain, she just crushes it instantly, and she says, what makes you think I would want this? Uh, I'm, I'm not a, a clone version of Superman, I'm my own woman. So I thought, wow, <laughs> Way to go, you know. So yeah. this, this was a really interesting take uh, that uh, she was her own character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm going to avoid all the uh, innuendos and things about Power Girl and the bust line, what have yeah. you. But I just thought that was an interesting moment for any comic, much less a '70s comic. Um, I think 
the Go interesting ahead. thing here is that is that uh, there is a call out to Power Girl at the end, and that spread we were talking about, where that's true. They introduce uh, Kara to all the other groups, and of course they, you know, the Justice Society of America, they introduce her to Power Girl, and Power Girl and Supergirl are kind of same character, different universe, and it's. You know, they say, oh, we really need to talk. And I would love to be in on that conversation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I thought we – did you like the depiction? Uh, where I'm going with this, Jerry, my underlying question here is the. I thought the artwork was gorgeous. I didn't think anything looked overly sexualized in any way here. I, I don't know. Was that your take on that? It, it was. And I'm kind of sensitive to that because I, you know, I know we've talked about this before that I really don't like that kind of – you know, it's not why I read comic books for, you know, overly sexualized depictions of characters. And I think she's pretty, you know, and she's, you know, attractive, but it's not, I think, over the top in any way. I oh, think. certainly. And I think that's fair, too. And I, I, I admired Turner's work on uh, that he did for Aspen with uh, Witchblade, uh, Fathom and what have you that he's done. But I, I can see how someone might just fair or not throw it into a stereotype of it being an image book or being an independent title that you might have uh, sexualized charged characters uh, women with exaggerated proportion yeah. personally I, I did not find that here I, I thought the I thought the women were well drawn but I don't yeah. think anything was certainly exaggerated by any means no and I think that's my that's my opinion I, I completely agree with you I think that uh, that especially you know with Wonder Woman being being such a key part of this driving this uh, and with big Barda uh, so great in this uh, I think that the whole um, male female uh, power structure is very kind of balanced and even and I don't I don't get any whiff of misogyny and I'd like to hear if there are um, uh, female listeners I'd like to hear your point because I of course we could be we're both guys we could be missing something but sure absolutely uh, I'd, I, I'd love to hear uh, a woman's take on on this yes um one thing I thought was a little odd too. I, I'm crypto came off barking at uh, <laughs> Supergirl. He just seemed mean, and I, this was the first time I've ever seen crypto snarl at anybody, much less to have uh, produces fangs and yeah. just. I, I thought that was a, a, unusual. I, I'm, I guess I'm used to the old '50s George Pap, you yeah. know, kind of smiling crypto, you know, playful. But this. This was a little thing, and I thought it in a story that seemed to seem so well, and I don't want to say that this was a total down or anything, but I thought the, the depiction was unusual for crypto here. Yeah, they're good dogs, Brett. Uh, and Batman seems to, <laughs> to be like, you know, this is how this dog is. I don't think Batman likes crypto. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that was funny. I didn't realize that either. You know, and I, I don't want to take away from Turner, you know, let me – I, I one thing I do want to address too, we, we talked about his depiction of women. I do want to say uh, his depiction of Batman here, I thought was very, very powerful. Yeah. Uh, I know some people tend to have uh, problems when, with depiction of Batman where the cape is exaggerated. The pointy ears are overdone. Granted, this these ears are high, but this yeah. this did not certainly t- deter me from his artwork in any way, shape, or form. And when we're talking with the depiction of Batman, Superman, mm-hmm. uh, the backgrounds, everything was just 
uh, spectacular art-wise to me. Not not just not just the women that we mentioned. Yeah, this is a this is a beautifully drawn book. And the other thing I definitely have to say is that this book is funny. There are so many jokes, so many. Um, Barda and Superman are having a little argument, and Barda is, you know, I don't know, eight feet tall or however tall she is, and Superman flies up so, so yes. he can go eye to eye with her. <laughs> that, was so- that was a great catch. Yeah, uh, the, the, they, this was a great blend of artist and writer being on the same page and producing some outstanding comic book material. I, I really, I really thought this was a good mesh and with a creative team all coming together to tell a really, really good story. A lighthearted story. You know, yes. Superman is protecting Kara, right? Even when they're just sparring, he sees that she's in trouble and he rushes in to save her, you know, just like a, an overprotective older brother or something. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. Funny. And, uh, everything is, is, is pitch perfect here and how it was done. And like you say, this is a lighthearted story, uh, in the sense that, um, you could just feel Superman's earnestness and trying to really do what's best for his cousin and, and just so wanting to trust. And you get where Batman's coming from with his willingness to untrust. Uh, it's such a, such a dynamic and you, you feel, you feel really torn. Kara is, is, is not uh, bratty in any way. She's, she's, she's handling things in a mature manner where any other character in the similar predicament could have, just been angered and frustrated and just wanting to fly off and just, you know, or, 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 or lash out. She is just so willing to, um, let things play out. No, she knows what her place is. She knows when to speak, when not to speak it. This, this was really, really, uh, a very mature depiction of the character in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I'm coming at this more from a Batman perspective and mm-hmm. Batman is always best when he has somebody to play off of. I'm not such a, a big fan of, you know, the, the kind of lone night, you know, in the dark and fretting and brooding and, you know, worrying about things and planning for every little thing. This, especially with uh, Batman and Superman, the way that they're always kind of arguing but have their different approaches to life and different approach to solving problems. I think that it is so refreshing. It's such a good... They play off each other so well. And in other places, too. But this is, I think, one of the best that I've seen of the Batman-Superman relationship. Oh, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you kind of rate this? Well, Jerry, you know, I tell you, I have to put a caveat out there that um, this is a Bad Books for Beginners podcast. If you were to look for this story and, and solely want a Batman story, you won't find that here. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to uh, deal with his interactions with other characters. This is as much a Batman story as it is a, a more more so a Superman or Supergirl story. That said, I, I think with the depiction, the brilliant writing, the brilliant artwork, uh this is this is a this is a great book to have in your collection, and um, I was torn between a four and a half or a f- or a four. I'm, go- I'm go- I, I got to go four and a half. This is this is a great great book. Uh, I'm going to go four and a half out of five on this. I, I really the the one flaw I guess I get the crypto thing maybe rubbed me the wrong way, but you know I mean overall the big picture the big scope of the story. 
We've got Darkseid, we've got Wonder Woman, we've right. got uh, all the supporting, you know, just, it was such a visual treat and a, a treat worth reading. This is a four and a half for me. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I would definitely give it four and a half. I think if I was probably a Superman fan, I might even give it uh, even higher. And I think for me, the thing that I liked about it is, you know, we've been, we've read a couple pretty dark bat books uh, in the last couple of podcasts. And this one... And I think we got some to come, too. Yes, we sure do. <laughs> yes, I think uh, Ian Prime is is fearful of some that are coming. Um, keep listening, Ian. Yeah, keep, shout out to you. We still like that. Yeah, absolutely. But it was so funny. I thought that, you know, maybe if I had more of a connection to crypto, I would not be happy with his depiction here, but I don't. So I think it was done as a gag. You know, she's being chased by the dog. Um, Martian Manhunter, when he's he's hammering, uh, yes. he's, he's fixing the... Uh, the Kent house that had been destroyed by Darkseid, and he's you know driving a nail, and yeah. it's so funny. It and is. I loved it. So I would, I agree with you. I would say four and a half. And if I was a Superman fan, I would probably even rate it higher. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, any? Did we leave out anything? I, I think we pretty much covered all the bases there. Yes. I sure. I think we sure have. So. Well, Jerry, before we go, I did want to give a shout out to Darren and Ruth Sutherland, oh. who left us some really good comments, and I. Guess they're going to be regular listeners of the podcast now. We got their correspondence. I just want to give a shout out to Darren and Ruth Sutherland. And if you're looking for some great podcasts, they host Whirler Worlds, which features uh, podcasts devoted to the artwork and works of Mike Grell. They also do Trekker Talk, uh-huh. uh, which features uh, the story by Ron Randall, which is really, really well done. And Xenozoic Xenophiles, which looks at Mark Schultz, Cadillac, and Dinosaurs series. And they do a phenomenal job with their podcasts. And it's, it's very entertaining and informative so um thank you guys for listening and uh check out their podcast i listened to trekker talk and i really enjoyed it so uh thanks for thanks for listening and saying such nice things so well uh that's all for today and i hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast please as always leave us comments so we know what you liked and how we can do things better and if you like the show and other of the podcasts on the tbu kind of podcast network uh go to the tbu homepage and uh they have a patreon account where you can sign up and give a donation so we would sure uh surely appreciate that so join us next time where we will be covering robin unmasked i'm looking forward to that i am too yeah we hope you join us then so i'm jerry and i'm chris and we're saying goodbye for now and thank you for tuning in to bat books for beginners